Hello, hello. Thank you for joining us here in the CTO studio. I am your host, Nikolai Walker, on the mic and in your ear. Insert hashtag there. Now, we are joined in studio by Jonathan LaCour, and I'm going to throw this question over to Etienne. He's going to say it a lot better than I possibly can. But I, like a great many people, have a question for you, which is what exactly the hell is Kubernetes? If you could help us clear that up, that'd be greatly appreciated. Etienne, take it over. I'm a late bloomer when it comes to containerization and actually finally understanding what it does or actually how to be, you know, sometimes when you learn a new programming language and you're like, oh, I, I can do all the hello world examples and I, I get it, but I need, I need to do something with it. Like, like when am I going to actually code something with this? And with containerization and Docker, it's like, okay, I get it. I've run the little hello world uh, you know, instance and all that. But now, wh how am I deploying this? And I found one of the um, one of the very useful ways of doing it is through um, lambdas and sort of thinking about life that way. And so I'm a late bloomer to containerization and serverless. I still feel afraid to admit to people that I don't really, really understand what Kubernetes is. And so I feel I feel a little vulnerable in admitting that to you, but... but. It, is, uh, it is okay. I would say significant percentage of the people who run Kubernetes don't fully understand what Kubernetes is, right? Um, but let me break it down for you in pretty simple terms. Um, and I think it might be it be, might be interesting to start with just containers as a concept, right? Like I remember, so containers have been around before Docker, but I think Docker is the thing that really caused containers to take off. And why is that the case? Like what, in your view, what was the thing that got people excited about Docker, right? Yeah, I, I, I think, I don't think people knew why they got excited about Docker. I think I think for me, my initial thought was, wow, we don't have to worry about dev environments anymore. There's no worrying about different environments. Yep. It's you're, a, it's a... You're, you're onto it, right? So the, the key innovation of Docker was uh, finding a way to transform a... Uh, a, a the typical engagement between developers and infrastructure and deployment and making it super simple and really designed to delight them. The thing that made Docker successful was it spoke to developers and their workflow. It is works on my machine as a package and ship it to production, right? Like that's what got people excited. Um, and then, you know, so that's, that's containers in a nutshell to me, right? Is I can, I can package something up in a way that I, I know it works and I can ship it around and I've got that mobility, right? Kubernetes is the logical endpoint of that where, okay, now I'm going to go through and I want to start breaking my application down into microservices. I'm going to break it out into smaller and smaller components so that I can containerize those components. And then when you have a large scale system with many of these different microservices that all have to be orchestrated and communicate together, that turns out to be a very large challenge and a very big problem. So we solved one problem and we created a, whole, a dozen new ones and Kubernetes is designed to solve all of those problems, right? But the key thing about that is you don't necessarily, like how many people really have a scale at which they require something like Kubernetes. So Kubernetes brands themselves as a, a platform for deploying, managing, scaling, 
containerized applications at scale, right? At massive scale. So it was born at Google, right? These are people who are not running little rinky-dink workloads, right? And, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with the rinky-dink workload. Like the vast majority of businesses, it's the same challenge that I hear from people who, uh, who, you know, I took over a business or the engineering team at a business a couple of years back where their entire platform was written in Perl, um, which is not the most modern language, right? Or popular language. And, you know, but it was funny because they were, I had some engineers on the team, they were making fun of an application that was written in PHP. They're like, oh, ha ha, PHP, right? If nobody uses PHP, I'm like, folks, you do realize we use Perl, right? Number one. Number two, you do realize that like 80% of the internet is held together with chicken wire and duct tape with, you know, crazy Perl and terrible PHP and JavaScript. And like, that's how the internet works. Okay. Like, I mean, you know, it would be shocking when most people learn about like how networking works at scale and things like BGP, like it, you should be terrified all the time about everything. Right. But where am I going with this? The, the point is most of the time, uh, Kubernetes is a lot, like I said, a logical con conclusion to solve a bunch of problems that we created for ourselves by taking advantage of containers and then, you know, going wild with them. And there are certainly applications where you've got uh, a, a large amount of discovery and interconnectedness and a bunch of different microservices that when you glue them all together, create a workload, Kubernetes is ideal for that, right? But most workloads aren't that, and it's okay to be simpler. That's fine. So you, for instance, will have, so if I just look at the single thread, you know, you package up your container, you publish it to, to is it, I think like EKR or something, EK, ECR, and, oh yes, EKS, right? Or is it, what is it? EKS is the Elastic Kubernetes Service. It's, that's AWS's, like, we're running Kubernetes for you at scale, right? And you just push to it. So would Kubernetes then just be, instead of thinking of your app as a single Docker instance, it is actually just a ton of them doing different things, like in, the, in a microservices environment? Yeah, it, the long and short of it is, and I'll, I'll caveat all this by saying I'm also not a Kubernetes expert. I know enough to be dangerous here and, and definitely encountered it a lot. So, But effectively, think about it this way. You're defining independent services, right? And you're grouping them together and you're allowing the services to do things like discover each other, right? Um, so you don't have to say... You know, you basically can create these pods and you can create IP addresses for them and you can create DNS names for a series of these things and you can load balance them. It's doing, um, you know, things like healing and scaling and the topology of your services, um, you know, really providing you with all of that substrate. But it's, it's really, it's kind of, frankly, it's pretty boring when you really think about what it's doing under the hood. It's orchestration. It's it isn't doing anything that is actually solving any problems for your end users. It's purely designed to solve problems for you. I'm, I want to smoothly scale, deploy, heal, roll out a very large scale service that has many, many, many microservices that make it up. So is Kubernetes something that can also then be defined by something like a Terraform script or a... Oh yeah, so it's yeah. You can you can definitely use infrastructure as code to provision things and um, you know I would say uh, and Terraform for example actually um, is an infrastructure as code provider that has a whole bunch of different like capabilities to extend and plug in and add new capabilities and so people have done a lot with Kubernetes.
Yeah, so that's that's helpful. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I um, I feel less incompetent. Yeah, it, it, there's actually, well, first of all, you're not incompetent for, you know, the fact that you, you, frankly, most people don't need to know how Kubernetes works, right? Like the vast majority of people do not need to know, including CTOs, right? Like, I think it's a good idea to understand it because it very well could be a good um, fit for a workload that you encounter. But, you know, you are not in uh, the min minority when it comes to that level. So even if I am a small company and um, is it potentially best practice to start off with Kubernetes then as a infrastructure or as a way to think about your deployment so that you are prepared and you're, you're sort of growing, you're not having to shift. Like what is the paradigm, the DevOps paradigm that is just plain good old best practice to kick anything off that might feel like overkill in the beginning, but actually will serve you pretty quickly uh, as you grow. Yeah, I think I do not think that it's necessary to start with Kubernetes as a given at the beginning of a project, right? Um, it might be the right choice, but and many times it's not. I would say, honestly, a lot of the same old way that we approach problems as technologists when it comes to application architecture are very, very similar now as they were before. It's just that some of the atomic building blocks are a little bit different and that parts of them can be outsourced as well. So, you know, like we, we talk about the database layer, right? You, you used to have to think uh, a lot more about the database layer than I think you do now because you can do things like, okay, uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to plonk in RDS here, or maybe I'm going to use Dynamo or whatever, right? Um, maybe not the best example, but you know, I think starting from a position of, yes, I'm gonna containerize, that's totally appropriate. And if you're starting from there, getting to Kubernetes is definitely not like, it's not like you're gonna have to start over when you get to the endpoint. Um, building out an application with sane architecture uh, around microservices with, you know, kind of discrete, you know, uh, components that are walled off from one another and know what they're responsible for. You can do that in a way with very simple, you know, kind of atomic bits and pieces and building blocks with containers. And then later you can adopt Kubernetes as you start to, to, to want to glue them together and scale them and all of that. But you don't necessarily have to. And you brought up Lambda earlier. I think that people are often going to have better luck starting off from a position like that, right? And then using something like Lambda or using ECS even, like a more simple container service that, that AWS provides with Fargate, right? Which is um, kind of quote unquote serverless, um, you know, on, on that front. And you can get really, really far with that. And, and the, the kind of cognitive load is significantly lower than it would be on, oh, now I have to understand Kubernetes, right? Like that, that's a lot. Um, most people don't need it. Overkill for most people. Yeah, and I think in the end, I like what you said earlier, which was de delighting your engineers. I think there are a few things as demoralizing as when you're setting, when you're onboarding someone and you just cannot get the local dev environments to work. Or writing or solving a problem and then having it work in one environment and not another is... So I can see how those tools, I love how that seeing Docker as that solution to the developer sort of struggle, I think is, is a great way to look at that.
Thanks again for joining us here in the CTO studio, and thank you to our guest, Jonathan LaCour, who is the CTO at Mission. If you would please, since you are enjoying these podcasts, go ahead and subscribe to them in iTunes. Go ahead and check out missioncloud.com. Check out 7CTOs.com. And we will see you again next time with another interview with Jonathan LaCour.